This is the, the calling of Levi. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you, Rick. Wonderful. No, that's funny. We can talk that one. So, warm welcome. Uh, my name's Andy, for those that don't know me, and uh, it's great to, to be together. And we've uh, embarked on this year as a year of invitation. So, it's great to have invited some of you guys uh, to be part of us. Uh, and it's an invitation to the greatest party ever. It's a, an invitation to the, the banquet of God uh, Himself. And uh, we want to widen our study of that this morning as we look at this passage. And uh, the situation is that uh, Jesus is uh, surrounded by the villages of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, there's plenty going on in the area. And uh, very early, earlier on in the chapter, in chapter five, um, you remember the situation with Simon Peter, um, the fisherman uh, becomes Jesus' disciples. And James and John, as, uh, as Jesus calls them. And there's this um, remarkable catch of fish. And it's so much so that Peter says, uh, I'm, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's afraid uh, of what, who Jesus is and what he has done. And, uh, and yet he decides that he will, he will follow him. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I will make you a fisher of not just the fish, but of people uh, themselves. And uh, all the way through this, we see that invitation to taste the kingdom of God and then to invite others to taste the kingdom um, as well. And then Jesus, through the chapter, heals a leper and a paralyzed man. You remember when he's lowered down through the, uh, the, the, the roofing of the house uh, in chapter five. And lots of people are coming from all around to see what Jesus is saying and what he is doing. And so verse 27 says, after this, after these things um, have happened, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, uh, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And perhaps this is a familiar passage to you. Perhaps it's an unfamiliar passage. But two things I want us to be looking for this morning. One, two themes, if you like. One is of vulnerability and the other is of availability. Simon Peter, early in the chapter, showed his vulnerability when he's, he's fearful of who Jesus is and he's, he's open about the sinfulness of his heart um, and yet he's available to risk it all on Jesus. Jesus himself makes him available to people, to tax collectors, to sinners, and yet he's vulnerable to the Pharisees who misunderstand him and who ridicule him. And Levi is uh, vulnerable to Jesus, sees him as he is, and yet makes himself available to follow him with his life. Vulnerability and availability. And many of you will know tax collectors were not popular characters back in Jesus' day. Um, we um, obviously have the respectable, highly respected inland revenue today, and uh, we love them dearly. However, if you get a brown envelope through your door with, uh, with this on the top, we still brace ourselves uh, for what might be in it. And um, this, is a, this is a department of the government, although it is Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, just to add that extra bit of authority in there. 
But in the day of Jesus, it was not a governmental thing. It was more like the mafia running it, okay? It was something to be well scared of um, as it went about. And uh, back in Jesus' day, there were two types of tax collectors, apparently. There were the Gibai, who were the general tax collectors. They could take money for uh, your income tax, your ground tax, your house tax, um, and also the poll tax. So just for being a resident of, of the kind of the Roman Empire, whether you had a job or not, you paid tax for that. And then there was the second group called the Mokis, and they took all the, the money for anything that was imported or exported um, or anything that was traded. And they would set up these kind of portable tax booths, kind of wherever and, and whatever, uh, on a road, on a, on a harbour dock, on a bridge, um, and pretty well anything that moved along that road would get taxed. So if you had a cart, you would get taxed for every wheel that was on the cart. If you had animals pulling the cart, you would get taxed for, for the animals. If you've ever driven along the M6 towards the toll roads, you'll be familiar with this system. And uh, it's our favorite, favorite place, which is why it's such a busy road. And uh, <laughs> the most useful thing around. Anyway. The government weren't really involved as much as that, so they would add on their own profits to this as well, and so the tax collectors were not popular. And uh, even within the two, the, the Mokis, okay, these, these other tax collectors, there were two types. There was the great Mokis, and there was the little Mokis. The, the great Mokis kind of were like the kind of godfather figures behind the scenes, and then they would send out the little Mokis who would actually do all the tax collecting. So Zacchaeus in Luke 19, the chief tax collector was probably one of these great Mokis. I have to say the Mokis were not related to the Mackies in any way, but I just mentioned that as that's my surname, but um, nothing to do with us. But they were absolutely hated. But even more so, the little Mokis were despised because they were the ones that would set up the tax booths. And they were considered traitors because they brought the money for the Romans. And they were just hated because of that. And this is where Levi, the tax collector, comes in. And uh, you would not have liked Levi. We think we like him. You would not have liked this guy. Um, Jesus has been drawing crowds. There have been a lot of people coming to see Jesus, find out what he's doing here, what he's got to say. And Galilee, with all the, the villages and the, the sea, the trade routes going on, everybody's coming around to see what is going on. And it is very likely that Levi has cottoned onto this. And he's realized there's good footfall around. This is a good place to set up a tax booth. There are a lot of people coming and moving around in this kind of area. And so it's likely that is what he's up to. It is like a traffic warden coming to church and we welcome them and then we go out into the car park in Queensbridge and you've all got a parking ticket. That is how popular this guy would have been. And so the paralyzed man has just got healed, he's just received forgiveness and what happens? Jesus comes out and he sees Levi, a tax collector, sitting at his booth. And you're thinking to yourself, that is very good on the entrepreneurship, but really, is that the place to be collecting taxes? But as a tax collector, from his perspective, he would not have been allowed into the synagogue. He would certainly not have been welcomed there. He would not have heard much about what God is all about. And yet he's been following Jesus around for ulterior motives, but he's beginning to hear his message. He's beginning to see what this guy is like, and he is drawn to that. And amazingly, including Levi, Jesus says to him, follow me. I want you to follow me. And he obviously he's been hearing something of what he's been saying, and he's begun to engage with it, and so he leaves everything to follow Jesus. 
Now the name Levi, many of you will know, is a great Jewish name. If you were a parent coming up with a, a good name for a kid, Levi is a great name. It's one of the 12 tribes, but it's not any one of the 12 tribes. It was one of the tribes that the priests came from, the Levitical priests. They were the people that would represent God before people. They were the human face of God, if you like. They were the people that would bring others under the influence of God. They would stand in the gap between the people and between God himself. And uh, his parents would have hoped and prayed that little Levi would turn out to be someone just like that. Someone who would represent God well to the people and bring people under his influence. And yet this Levi, ironically, as a tax collector, is not God's go-between, but he's become Rome's go-between. He's just bringing money in for the Romans and he's abandoned everything. And yet that all changes. A one invitation from Jesus and that all changes. And Levi comes and follows. And uh, he responds to Jesus' invitation. He enters into the blessing of forgiveness and life. And the first thing he does is he throws a banquet. He throws this great party and he invites everybody. This is the first alpha meal probably. And uh, all his friends come, Jesus is there to find out about him. This is all his friends, unfortunately, are tax collectors. All of these other people that people hate. So this is like a, an evangelistic convention of tax traffic wardens, kind of all come together. And uh, they're all there for it. So he extends the invitation and this large crowd come. And really, Levi has now become a true Levite. Okay, he has become who he was meant to be. He is now bringing people under the influence of Jesus. He is inviting his social network to come and encounter uh, this God and this, these words that he's hearing about and seeing in action. And Jesus doesn't come into our lives to stifle our lives. He comes into our lives to release us to be who we were meant to be. And Levi is released here to be who he was always meant to be to be released from the stuff that holds us back and set free to be what we were meant to be. Jesus calls that same uh, thing out to us today. He calls you to let go of things, to change things, not because he wants to stifle our lives, but because he wants you to be who you are always meant to be, to release you into that. I spent my teenage years uh, wanting to be like other people. I wanted to be as skillful as this person. I wanted to be as funny as that person. I wanted to be as bold and confident as someone else. And uh, I would go off and do some, you know, daring and stupid things in class. And I was, you know, the first to do all that sort of stuff. But as soon as it came to doing something serious, I couldn't do it. Okay, if I had to read out loud, in class, I really struggled to do that. If I had to give a five minute presentation, I would die on the spot. I just literally found it very, very difficult to do. And yet when I became a Christian, I, one of the fundamental things that happened as I look back on my life was that I became free to be who I was. I was not trying to be someone else, but just free to be me. And ironically, here I am standing, talking for way more than five minutes on a regular basis because something fundamental changed in my heart and in my life that was about God's coming and releasing us. And so he doesn't come to stifle us, he comes to release us. And that is what happens with Levi here. He leaves everything and follows him and becomes God's go-between rather than Rome's go-between. And every one of us is to be part of the, the priesthood. You know, every one of us is to be a priest. Every one of us is to represent God to other people. 
And Jesus does more than that. He actually gives them a new name. He gives them the name Matthew. And he goes on to write what we know as of Matthew's gospel. So Levi not only shares with his social network, but ultimately he will share this with the whole world through the gospel uh, of Matthew. The invitation goes out to others. He throws a party. Someone has said of the church and uh, of um, the world today that the best kept secret is Jesus. The best kept secret is Jesus. In Birmingham, the best kept secret is Jesus. People have all sorts of mixed ideas and feelings about the church, but if they were to hear about Jesus, they would want to know something more. They would want to know who this Jesus is. And um, here's a question for you. You might want to think about this some point today, maybe over lunch, have a conversation. But what, are the, what are your favorite words that Jesus said? What are the things that Jesus said that absolutely draw you? What's seen from the gospels where Jesus involved is your favorite scene? And to begin to think about why is that? What do these words mean to me? How do these words impact my life? To think about it, to pray about it, internalize it in some way so that you've got something to share of this Jesus with people who don't know about him. Um, it might be, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to prepare a place. Uh, no one can come except through me, um, and uh, I'm going to prepare a place and come back for you and take you there. Or it may be, you know, I'm the, uh, the bread of life. Nobody who follows me will ever go hungry. Or it may be that scene with the, the woman, the adulterous woman, and everybody's about to stone her, and Jesus said, he who's without, uh, without sin cast the first stone. You know, what is the situation for you that gri grips you about Jesus so that you've got something to share? There was a survey done recently across the UK, across uh, Britain, um, and one of, a couple of things were quite interesting. The first is that something like 80% of people in this country know a Christian. That's really encouraging. There's a lot of people in this, in this nation who know somebody who knows something about the Christian faith. They know a Christian. Great opportunity. The second thing they discovered is that 60% of what we say to people goes right over their heads or is unhelpful to them. So we're not very good at explaining things to them. So there's a couple of things that we need to learn from that. First of all, we need to speak in language and terminology that makes sense to people. We need to speak in language that makes sense to people and that is helpful to people. And the second thing is that whenever we have a, some sort of encounter or conversation with someone, we need to leave them positive for the next encounter. We don't have to get them everywhere, we just do what we do at that moment and leave it positive for the next Holy Spirit encounter where someone shares something of God's love with them. I know a guy who plays uh, word tennis, conversational tennis. So he, um, it's like he, he knocks the conversational tennis ball into someone else's court and he waits for them to knock it back if he's gonna take the conversation any further. So he um, might start with something like, you know, uh, you know, I read something amazing recently knocks it into their court. And they go, really? What, what was it? Back in his court. I, surprisingly, it was something that Jesus said. Back into their court. Oh, Jesus said something that you've kind of changed you. What, what, what was that? And then he begins to share a little bit more. And he only takes the conversation as far as they want to take it, but he encourages it in that. And uh, he, he certainly has a lot of fun doing that, um, from what I gather. But to do that requires us to be vulnerable. Okay, is vulnerability involved? in sharing something of our lives. There's availability involved in sharing something of our lives. Two key aspects. I felt very vulnerable when, uh, at the age of about 20, I stood in front of my final year at university, 
and said to them, you know, I've become a Christian and I'm getting baptized and I would like to invite you all to come. Okay, I felt very vulnerable at that point and got all sorts of responses, some of whole mixture as you can imagine. I felt very vulnerable when I knocked on um, a flatmate's door and asked him whether he'd want to look at some words in the New Testament sometime. I felt even more vulnerable when he said yes. I thought, oh, phone a friend, what do I do now? Um, I felt even more when he said I want to become a Christian. But anyway, that's how that went. He felt very vulnerable when at three o'clock in the morning he knocked on my door with tears streaming down his eyes and his face, scared silly because he had to have an operation and just wanted somebody to share that with him, to be with him. Um, But it's in those points of vulnerability um, where we are seen, where we are deeply seen, where we are vulnerably seen, where you get these incredible points of connection with people and that becomes a lifelong friend in some way. This huge amount of importance in connection. Uh, some of you will have come across uh, a woman called uh, Brenny Brown, um, who's done one of these TED videos on vulnerability. It's got about 22 million watches, so somebody's probably watched it. And uh, she's a social scientist who's researched uh, connection and vulnerability uh, with people. And she says basically, connection is why we are here. Connection is what gives meaning and purpose to life. Um, and connection comes from vulnerability from being the person that invites uh, a friendship or initiates a friendship or starts a conversation without any guarantees whatsoever. She says this, vulnerability is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experiences. It is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. And we live in a world that is afraid of being vulnerable. And so most people in our world try to numb it rather than to share it. Um, And she observes that in the West and particularly in the US and in her context, that we are the most in debt, we're the most obese, we're the most addicted, and we're the most medicated adults in history. But if you selectively try and get rid of the feelings to do with vulnerability, you cannot selectively just get rid of those ones. You end up getting rid of the other ones, such as joy and gratitude and uh, happiness in our lives. We end up miserable, we lack meaning, and so we numb it with a few more beers or whatever, and we end up in a spiral down. Which is why, as Christians, these values of love, acceptance, and forgiveness are so important. To be people who genuinely love one another and others, who genuinely accept one another and others, and genuinely forgive when we get it wrong. Because it's in that environment that actually people can be vulnerable, whether it is with one another in our, in our small groups, our life groups, whether it is out there in the world with our friends, with our colleagues, with our neighbors. Crucial in all of our relationships for a safe environment to allow that vulnerability just to even begin um, to flourish. Because our fear of not sharing our lives or not sharing our faith with others is due to our fear of disconnection. Our fear that something about me that if someone else sees it or knows it, means I won't be worthy of connection with you. So you'll reject me. And it's a universal thing that we we all struggle with. It takes courage to be vulnerable. And the word courage, those first four letters, C-O-U-R, come from an old word which means heart. The heart, to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. To tell the story of who you are 
with your whole heart to one another and to the people in the sphere of influence that we have in our world. And people who move forward in connecting with others are those who are real and those who are authentic in their lives, willing to be not who they, they should be, but actually who they are. And it is particularly important as we share with people outside of the family of God that it's authentic um, in our lives. There's a Christian community uh, up in Northumbria um, and they have a rule of life based on these two, two principles, availability and vulnerability. And this is how they put it. Availability is first of all available to God and then it's available to others. So available to God in the sense of in the cell of my own heart, in the secret place, you know, I will seek his face. I'm available to God in here, in my life. And then out of that, there's the availability to others, which is a call on our lives to hospitality, to exercise hospitality, recognizing that when we welcome uh, and honor another, we welcome Jesus himself amongst us. Available to care and to love others and to pray for them and available to participate in God's mission in its various kinds. And am I available to God and to others? And that's Levi here. Levi is available to God. I will follow you. And he opens his house up to this great banquet. And secondly, is they have an intentional, deliberate vulnerability. And first of all, it's the vulnerability of being teachable. So when I pray, God, will you show me things in my heart that need to change? When I read the scriptures, will you transform my life? I, I am open to you teaching me to change and to be the person you want me to be. Am I willing to be accountable to others in ordering our ways and our heart to bring about that change and transformation um, within me? Vulnerability. It's the vulnerability of speaking out against things that are wrong, against things that are unjust in our world. And uh, we might feel vulnerable in those situations. To put a relationship right. Um, to be the first to say, I love you. To be the first to say, I'm sorry. Again, that requires vulnerability in our lives and hearts. The vulnerability of being church without walls. And uh, we had a great opportunity before Christmas just going into uh, the Red Lion pub. Um, they asked us to do Christmas with them. So we went and tried to do Christmas with them, which was some carols and we were invited into the pub there. A lot of people came and got involved and I'm sure they felt vulnerable in that. We weren't quite sure how it was gonna go. It went incredibly well, really. But um, church without walls and living openly amongst both unbelievers and believers, living openly amongst people, whoever they are, in a way that the life of God in us can be seen and it can be questioned and it can be challenged so that people can engage with it and understand it. And that involves building relationships beyond ourselves, outside of our Christian ghettos, outside of our clubs, um, not with an ulterior motive, but simply because we genuinely care for people. And so Jesus was challenged by the religious fraternal. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And verse 33, even after they followed him, he says, your disciples go on eating and drinking like Levi here. And so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, saw unbelievers, the irreligious, whatever you might call, uh, what term you might use, they saw them as almost like a different species. It was like a, a lesser class of person, rather than simply as people like us, and yet with a dormant spirit, 
that as somebody said, is like a balloon waiting to be filled with the breath of God. People with a dormant spirit like a balloon waiting to be filled with the breath of God. And so God offers to fill our lives. He offers to fill our lives so that we can share that life with others. And it's an invitation we believe that is too good not to share. Let's pray together this morning and invite the band back up. And here's our prayer. Am I willing to be released by God afresh? Released to be a go-between for others in my life and in my community? Am I willing to maybe throw some parties or have some meals with some friends around or, or have a coffee or even a beer with someone? Those outside of the family of God. And just share something of my life, of who I am. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, we know we'll feel vulnerable. And yet that is how we connect. That is how people find life. So we pray this morning that we would be people that aren't part of keeping you as Birmingham's best kept secret. But we are people who will help people know something about the real Jesus. So fill us afresh today with your spirit, with faith, with courage, and with love. Make our hearts bigger for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.